0: Here it is.
1: From deep inside your audio device of choice. May I compliment you on your choice of audio device, by the way. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Obama administration's Justice Department has already distinguished itself for prosecuting more whistleblowers during its time in office than all other administrations in the history of the United States combined. Now it's distinguishing itself in other ways. We'll talk about a a couple of them. We, who else is here? Oh, Adrian's here Uh, on today's broadcast. First of all, a a senior Justice Department official from the Obama administration's Justice Department is arguing that three- and four-year-old humans can learn immigration law well enough to represent themselves in court. This is a growing debate over whether immigrant children facing deportation are entitled to attorneys paid for by taxpayers. Jack Weil, a longtime immigration judge who's responsible for training other judges, he's got to know what he's talking about, He made that assertion that three- and four-year-olds can learn immigration law in sworn testimony in a deposition in federal court in Seattle. I've t- quote, I've taught immigration law literally to three-year-olds and four-year-olds, Weill said. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. They get it. It's not the most efficient, but it can be done. He repeated the claim twice in the deposition, also saying, You can do a fair hearing. It's going to take you a lot of time. Unquote. Legal and child psychology experts contacted by the Washington Post ridiculed Weill's assertions, noting that... um, According to one, I nearly fell off my chair when I read that deposition. That's from a psychology professor at Temple University, who's a witness for the plaintiffs on the other side of the case. Three- and four-year-olds do not yet have logical reasoning abilities. It's preposterous, frankly, to think they could be taught enough about immigration law to be able to represent themselves in court. That's assuming that there's anything logical about immigration law, sir. Anyway, more about the Obama Justice Department further on in this broadcast, but first... (laughs) News of the Godly. First in Pennsylvania, a Catholic diocese there in Altoona uh, announced this week it will post the names online of priests who are credibly accused of sexually abusing children. This is a decision that came two days after a dramatic grand jury report alleged a decades long cover up. Advocates hope the grand jury report will lead to new legislation permitting more prosecutions of abusive priests and those who supervise them. The report relied on a secret archive at the Altoona Johnstown Diocese, dating back to the 1950s, which was opened up this summer after authorities obtained a search warrant. The grand jury interviewed surviving priests and their alleged victims, compiling a 140-page account detailing accusations against more than 50 religious leaders, including priests and teachers. Quote, these findings are both staggering and sobering. Wow, it's hard to stagger when you're sober. Over many years, hundreds of children have fallen victim to child predators wrapped in the authority and integrity of an honorable faith, unquote the grand jury. Giving some slack, where slack may... As dramatic as the report's accusations are, it does not recommend criminal charges, mainly because the statute of limitations has expired. Dateline Rome, uh, Catholic Cardinal George Pell under fire for his handling of sexual abuse of children by uh, priests in Australia, this week acknowledged that there was evil done. Didn't say they were evildoers, but the evil was done and vowed to work with survivors to enact better protection measures. He was giving four days of evidence via video link to the Australian Government Commission looking into child sexual abuse because his health wouldn't allow him to travel to Sydney. Also, he's doing his new job, reported on this broadcast a week or two ago, as the Vatican's treasurer. So, you know, he's got to keep counting the money. Um, he said he should have done more to stop the sexual abuse of children in the Catholic Church. I don't know if he was asked if he did anything, but he, he should have done more. He acknowledged he'd been told of at least one priest misbehaving, his word, for, with boys at an Australian school in the 1970s. With the experience of 40 years later, he says, certainly I would agree that I should have done more. There were audible gasps when Pell was asked during an exchange this week about abuse by the uncle of a victim, Gerald Riddles, Ridsdale, who was later convicted of 138 offenses against 53 victims. He said, quote, it's a sad story and it wasn't of much interest to me, unquote. Pell later said he regretted the comment, which was seized upon by victims and the Australian media. Quote, I was very confused. I responded poorly, It was badly expressed, he said. That Australian commission uh, has heard many allegations in its two-year history, none more disturbing than those against Catholic priest Peter Searson. His name was brought up during Wednesday's testimony by Cardinal Pell. The uh, commission heard that the church failed to act against Searson despite multiple claims of child abuse. Cardinal Pell described him as, quote, one of the most unpleasant priests I've ever met. Searson died aged 86 in 2009 without facing child sex abuse uh, charges, was alleged to have committed his litany of misdeeds in three parishes in Victoria in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. His transgressions began soon after he joined a parish outside Melbourne. A witness told the commission that when he he was a nine-year-old altar boy, he was sexually abused almost every Saturday for six months by Searson, as well as having been made to wash his car and mow his lawn. Oh, please! He was a very scary man and very intimidating with a gaze that would just pierce you like he was looking right through you, said the witness. The commission has heard that rogue priest made girls sit on his lap for confession. He taped hot confessions of primary school children, some of whom he ordered to kneel between his legs while confessing. He was licensed to carry a gun, he said, to have terrified senior high school students on a school cleaning assignment by pointing an Army service revolver at them. <laughs> Reputation was made even more macabre by allegations of animal cruelty. In one apparent act of intimidation, he killed a bird in front of children by stabbing it with a screwdriver. Phillips head. The commission also heard he scared children by showing them a body in a coffin. He was known for loitering in boys' toilets. He was caught shoplifting and misappropriating church funds. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln... In 1989, a group of parents had given Cardinal Pell, then a regional bishop, a list of concerns about Searson at a specially convened meeting. Uh, He told the commission in his testimony this week he had referred the matter to the archbishop, now deceased, but conceded he could have, quote, been a bit more pushy, unquote, to see Searson brought to justice. News of the non-pushing godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of Hello, Welcome to the Show. Half
2: of what I say is meaningless But I say it just to reach you, Jude song of love the song of love
1: From London, England, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Adam. Friendly Adam. Clean, save, too cheap to meet Save, safe, too
3: cheap to meet her. Save, to too safe to meet her. Save, too safe to meet her.
1: Addy, the Adam, are have you been uh, disturbed by the. Construction next door to uh, where we're staying here in London. Yeah. You, you haven't lost sleep over Adams don't sleep. Really? No, only humans sleep. We keep spinning. Wow. Never occurred to me, Adams don't sleep. Hmm. Think about it. I will. The Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station is operating safely. This is in Massachusetts, according to a report based on a special week-long federal inspection inc- uh, con- conducted in January. So everything's good? Every No. Inspectors brought up a flaw in an emergency cooling system that had been known but not addressed for nearly a year.
4: Well, it couldn't be too serious, then.
1: No. Or maybe. One of the chief concerns federal regulators have expressed historically over Pilgrim... Its name? No. Its owner's constant failure to follow through and get deficiencies addressed... The latest transgression involved a water leak in the core spray system. It's not very important. It's core. It's spray. that helps cool down the reactor after sudden shutdowns. The leak had allowed air bubbles to enter the system, which could impede water flow. Or not. The leak, one of many glitches that occurred during the blizzard of last year, last January, was identified in March of that year, but it wasn't entered into the plant's action plan until January of this year, leading inspectors from the NRC to write, quote, Entergy, the owner of the plant, has not taken timely action to identify the source of the leakage and address the issue. Do they know the issue ahead and address? Pilgrim maintains the system was still operable, says spokesman from the NRC. Our concern is that had this gone on for a longer period, the flow of reactor coolant would have been significantly impeded. But it didn't. No, it didn't. Japan's prime minister at the time of the Fouke, Thing has revealed that the country came within, quote, a paper-thin margin of a nuclear disaster requiring the evacuation, which would have required the evacuation, of 50 million people. Maybe they were using thicker stock on the paper? In an interview with the British newspaper The Telegraph to mark the fifth anniversary of the tragedy, hey, happy fifth anniversary of Fook, everybody, Naoto Kan described the panic and disarray at the highest levels of the Japanese government as it fought to control multiple meltdowns at the crippled Fouk nuke power station. He said he considered, he was the prime minister at the time, he considered evacuating Tokyo along with all other areas within 160 miles of the plant and declaring martial law. Do they still have marshals? The future existence of Japan as a whole was at stake, he said. Something on that scale, an evacuation of 50 million, it would have been like losing a a huge war. Well, they've never done that. Khan admitted he was frightened and said he got no clear information out of TEPCO, the plant's operator. He was very shocked by the performance of Nobuaki Tarasaka, his own government's key nuclear safety advisor. We questioned him, said the former prime minister. He was unable to give clear responses. We asked him, do you know anything about nuclear issues? And he said, no, I majored in economics, unquote. Did he give good advice about economics? Tarasaka, the director of the Nuclear and Industrial Safety Agency, who majored in ec- economics, was later fired. Another member of Khan's crisis working group, the then TEPCO chairman, was last week indicted on charges of criminal negligence for his role in the disaster. The chief decommissioning officer of the Fuku nuclear plant said this week that operators have yet to locate where the melted nuclear fuel has gone five years after the meltdown. There are melted fuels in units one, two, and three, says Naohira Masuda. Frankly, we not, do not really know what the situation is there for the melted fuel nor where it has gone. Do you know? Didn't go to Pilgrim, know that. Nearly five years after Fouke, TEPCO has admitted its staff failed to follow damage assessment guidelines, according to which they should have reported the meltdown almost immediately. The manual requires a reactor to be declared in meltdown if 5% or more of its fuel rods are determined to be damaged. It knew the extent of the damage early on.
0: Maybe
1: wasn't damaged like they thought it should be damaged to be damaged. You see what I'm three former executives of TEPCO have been indicted for failing to take measures to prevent the disaster. And TEPCO has started to incinerate the thousands of boxes of lightly contaminated waste, including clothing used by workers at the Fook plant. It fired up a special on-site incinerator to burn protective suits, gloves, socks, and other work clothes worn by plant workers. It became contaminated with low-level radiation that'll reduce the amount of tainted work clothing accumulating at the plant during decommissioning operations. The garments can't be processed outside the plant due to radiation. Yeah, sure. What? No radiation? It's low-level. Come on. I spin... I I, my, I spin daily and give off more... Okay. I'm gonna get a nap. Clean, cheap, too sleepy to meter. Our friend the atom. Ladies and gentlemen, news of AFAC. This is news. The Pakistan Prime Minister's advisor on foreign affairs has admitted that the leadership of the Afghan Taliban is living in Pakistan. Yeah, this is, this is our friend Pakistan, has been sheltering the leadership of of the Taliban against which we've been waging war next door in Afghanistan. Cute, huh? Answering a question about the extent to which Pakistan could encourage or pressure the Taliban to negotiate peace with Afghanistan, Sartaj Aziz said, quote, We have some influence on them because their leadership is in Pakistan, and they get some medical facilities. Their families are here. So we can use those levers to pressurize them to say, come to the table, unquote. We could actually set the table. You could actually. He made clear in his talk at the council on foreign relations in Washington that Pakistan could not negotiate with the Taliban on behalf of the Afghan government. It is for the Afghan Taliban and the Afghan government to negotiate, he said. Well, if you're if you're giving them food and lodging and medical care, you're kind of on their side, so you wouldn't be really a good negotiator with them. Or in the past, Pakistan has denied. It had any influence over the Taliban or that they had any havens on Pakistani soil except in the semi autonomous tribal region. Aziz's remarks came in the wake of a 20 month military operation in that semi autonomous tribal region. Pakistani army now says it has cleared the country of all militant strongholds except for the leadership. Pakistan's Foreign Office spokesman declined to offer any reaction to the remarks. Quote, we do not make any comment on political leaders' statements. He said what he's had to say. Pakistan has long been accused by international critics of protecting the Afghan Taliban to use them as a proxy in Afghanistan with an aim to curtail Indian influence on Pakistan's western border. This, according to the BBC, this has caused a near permanent state of mistrust between Pakistan and Afghanistan on the one hand and between Pakistan and India on the other. And Pakistan is nukes. What what could go wrong? News of, news of ah, ha. and um, now we turn to bad banks. It's and it's our old friends at HSBC. If if you f- ever fly to Heathrow Airport, all of the uh, jetways, the walk through, and I think most of the uh, passageways off the jetways are filled with the most cheerful ads for uh, HSBC. The uh, Wall Street Journal, though, reports that uh, a chemist living in Westchester, Pennsylvania, tried to get mortgage relief from HSBC. He uh, didn't get it, and he's now suing to try to make the company release a secret report on its compliance with the settlement it reached with the Obama Justice Department on uh, charges that HSBC was involved for years in money laundering for drug lords and terrorists. The disclosure of the compliance report would be the first ever for this type of case, which shine a light on the increasingly common practice of banks accused of breaking the law. Instead of being prosecuted, they typically enter into settlements, under which they agree to be overseen by monitors whose judgments are kept secret. HSBC... And the Obama Justice Department opposed the release of the report, saying it wouldn't do much to help the chemist, Dean Moore, with his mortgage predicament. The judge has ordered the report unsealed, saying that is irrelevant. The bank is appealing the ruling. HSBC disclosed last week that the January report by the Independent Monitor has found instances of potential financial crime at the bank and had significant concerns about the bank's pace of progress in complying with the money laundering settlement. That's a report it made public after the judge's ruling. It uh, admitted it back way back in 2012 it failed to catch at least 800 at least 881 million dollars in drug trafficking proceeds laundered through its U.S. bank. And its staff stripped data from transactions with Iran, Libya, and Sudan. evade U.S. sanctions. The lender seemed receptive to a request to temporarily lower the 7% interest rate back in 2008, only for its representatives to misplace documents needed to complete their application for the loan modification, not once, but several times. This has been reported many occasions by many banks in dealing with people trying to get mortgage modifications. If the ruling stands, it would be the first time we get to see what happens after a bank settles a prosecution, says a professor at the University of Virginia's Law School who studied the monitor system. HSBC and the Justice Department are still trying to keep the report private because that's that's your Justice Department, ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of justice, we had um, Colin Powell, the former Secretary of State, weighing in on the the question of Guantanamo Bay as the president a couple of weeks ago issued kind of a vague idea of a theory of a possibility of a plan for clo- closing Guantanamo Bay. Guantanamo said Powell was a heavy load to carry as I went around the world talking about human rights. I always had pushback, but look what you were doing at Guantanamo, he said. We started, by the way, worst of the worst. We're constantly told they're the worst of the worst. Colin Powell, I know. I know. But still, Colin Powell says, we started with almost 800 people in Guantanamo and down now to less than 100. Where'd the other 700 go? They're gone. They've been sent back because we didn't have charges on them. We didn't know how they'd gotten there in the first place. But we knew they were the worst of the worst. I'll tell you how the, a lot of them got there sir bounty hunters because we paid to get people into Guantanamo um, somebody of note has uh, changed his opinion on waterboarding several times during uh, presidential debates and in in questioning Republican frontrunner Donald Trump even as recently as this Thursday's this past Thursday's Republican debate said, uh, sure, I'd do waterboarding, and worse, too. People in the Middle East are chopping heads off. We look soft. Uh, The day after most recently saying that, the Trump campaign, such as it is, issued a statement published in the Wall Street Journal in the name of Donald Trump, I would use every legal power. I have to stop these terrorist enemies. I do, however, understand that the United States is bound by laws and treaties, and I will not order our military or other officials to violate those laws and will seek their advice on such matters. It is clear that as president, I will be bound by laws just like all Americans, and I will meet those responsibilities. So he, he had a meeting with his lawyer. This is because the former head of the NSA, Michael Hayden, had said if uh, Trump became president and— uh, ordered the military to uh, waterboard, or worse, they would defy his orders, which was a provocative statement. Um, That's not the way Trump made the most news in Thursday's debate, of course. There was the illuminating discussion of the size of his hands, which he said he'd never heard of before. Marco Rubio had brought it up tauntingly earlier in the week, small hands. And uh, Trump, who delights in uh, attaching an epithet to each of his opponents, Marco Rubio is little Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz is lion Ted Cruz. Uh, Trump said he'd never had anybody refer, make any fun of his or uh, criticize his, the size of his hands before, ignoring the fact that Spy Magazine in the 1990s repeatedly used an epithet referring to Donald Trump. The epithet was short-fingered vulgarian. Anyway, Marco Rubio's reference kind of walked up to the line saying, you know what they say about people with small hands? Pause. They can't be trusted. Trump walked right over that line saying, uh, you know what they say about people with small hands? I can assure you there's no problem in that department either. uh, One of the... uh, Hosts of the Thursday night debate, it was on Fox, was Megyn Kelly, who uh, you may remember hosted one of the first debates back in August, and uh, Trump bristled at her first question to him, which was about negative statements he'd made about other women in the past, derogatory statements, and uh, later had suggested that she had fire coming out of her eyes, out of her ears, out of her wherever, which most people took to mean her wherever. On uh, this occasion, the uh, questioning began with Megyn Kelly saying it was nice to see Trump again, and Trump complimenting her, saying she looked very good. And then...
4: Hello, Megan, It's Donald. You know, the one with the world-famous schlong. You heard about it on your debate. Listen, speaking of debate, I meant what I said. You look great. The short hair, which I usually don't like because of the whole lesbian thing, you pull it off beautifully. I mean, incredibly. It is absolutely a terrific look for you. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I am saying that. But the reason I'm calling is, look, you're a smart cookie. You know, the whole thing with you last summer was because I was, and I still am, very, very attracted to you. Because maybe it's the lawyer thing, maybe now it's the lesbian thing. I'm kidding. I know you're straight. I have people who are very, very good at finding that kind of stuff out. The best in the world. The CIA uses them. Look, when I I'm calling from the plane. Listen how quiet it is. Listen. When I said you had fire coming out of wherever, you, you're smart enough to know that what I really meant, which is that you had the fire coming out of my wherever. Look, I don't know how much time I have on this voicemail, Megan. Let me cut a check to the chase me a call. I know you're busy being beautiful on TV. I'm incredibly busy too, although most nights I do get to sleep in my own bed, which is so important. I mean, that Holiday Inn in Iowa was a disaster, but I can't say that. But look, I'm doing a rally tomorrow in New Orleans. Why don't you come down? Meet me down there. A friend of mine runs the greatest steakhouse in the world. Very private. Nobody goes there, but it is tremendous food and a great place to get to know each other a little bit better. And then, who knows? I don't have a hotel down there. I was going to build something there, but somebody was, but put my name on it, but the politicians there are so corrupt, this guy I gave a huge amount of money to wouldn't even return my call, I mean a huge amount, anyway, there's a beautiful place across the lake, a fight promoter who is a terrific friend of mine owns it, absolutely luxurious, very discreet, and who knows, you just might have the best experience of your life down there. I mean, down there in Louisiana. But listen, I do have sizable hands. You've seen that with your own beautiful eyes. It's a shame, by the way, that I'm not in the pageant business anymore because I'm being very serious now because you are a stunner. So don't be stupid. We have stuff on your husband that could destroy him. So give me a call. You've got this number on your voicemail now. Nobody answers this number except me and my campaign manager, Corey, who nobody can keep a secret better than him, much better than those idiots down at the CIA. They are decimating us, which, by the way, I'd love to decimate you. So call me. Don't be a schmuck. Erase this as soon as I hang up, especially the part about the Holiday Inn. I may need them again if this thing keeps going the way it is now. I mean, can you believe these crowds? Everybody in Louisiana loves me, and I think they are the most incredible. Anyway, call me. Seriously, I hate to be frustrated. Take very good care.
1: And on a social note, congratulations to Head of Nice Corp, Rupert Murdoch, and former companion of Mick Jagger, Jerry Hall, married here in London yesterday.
3: Well they call me the honky tonk fogey, but this is getting ready to blow. I'm lighting up a major stogie. I'm rocking my world nice and slow I got me a rock and roll woman Then I had a cut of hair I know I look glum, but she's under my thumb Wild horses couldn't end this affair Refined sugar Oh, you're bad for me Refined sugar But you're my next Destiny Yeah, yeah, yeah Well, she had the height and the beauty I had the power and the grade She said Can you give me shelter? I said. You can get what you need. She's a Siamese cat of girl. I'm a man of wealth and taste. It's a drag getting old, but not to sound cold. A body's a terrible thing to waste. Sugar, I know you're bad for me. Refined sugar, I won't put you on page
0: three.
3: Silver. She makes a grown man cry bed. She said, when I gave her the diamond, keep fidelity in your head. I'll be like a little red rooster when we walk down the aisle arm in arm. We'll honeymoon in when it comes to marriages. The fourth time. The charm. Refined sugar. I know you're bad for me. Refined sugar. You're what I take with tea.
1: From London, this is the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news from outside the bubble. First of all, you know about glyphosate. It's the uh, active ingredient in the weed killer Roundup, which is made by Monsanto. Most of the genetically modified modified crops grown in the United States, the the soy and the corn especially, are genetically modified to be able to withstand big doses of glyphosate to kill the weeds around them. Well, a rebellion by several European Union countries could end plans by the European Commission to approve the re-licensing of glyphosate. That had been scheduled at a two-day meeting of experts, but officials are now saying they may postpone the vote rather than lose it, putting glyphosate into legal limbo, according to The Guardian. Its license runs out in June. France, the Netherlands, and Sweden have all said they will not support the assessment by the European Safety Authority, Food Safety Authority that glyphosate is harmless. That ruling ran counter to findings by the World Health Organization's cancer agency that glyphosate was, quote, probably carcinogenic to humans. This ended up causing a bitter dispute over scientific methodology and industry influence. The Swedish environment minister said, we won't take risks with glyphosate, and we don't think that the analysis done so far is good enough. The Food Safety Agency panel based its recommendation that glyphosate was safe enough for a new lease on life on six studies funded by the industry that have not been fully published. The substance is so widely used, it is commonly found, residues of it, in British bread German beer, and according to one study, the urine uh, urine of 18 people, uh, sorry, of people in 18 countries across Europe. Glyphosate use has been banned or restricted in large parts of Europe because of alleged links to a host of health problems ranging from birth defects and kidney failure to celiac disease, colitis, and autism. The Guardian also reports a U.S. government agency says it's attained the holy grail of energy. The next generation system of battery storage it has been hotly pursued by the likes of Bill Gates and Elon Musk, found by the Advanced Research Projects Agency in the Department of Energy. Well, I, I thought the government didn't create jobs or anything. Ellen Williams, director of ARPA-E, says, I think we've reached some holy grails in batteries just in the sense of demonstrating we can create a totally new approach to battery technology, make it work, make it commer- commercially viable, and get it out there to let it do its thing. So ARPA-E, if this is true, has come out ahead of Gates and Musk in the multibillion-dollar race to build the next-generation battery for power companies and home storage. The biggest breakthrough has been... Storage. Most of the projects fostered by the agency were already in sight of getting funding. Several have now secured private sector follow-on funding. The battery storage systems developed with ARPA-E's support are on the verge of transforming America's electrical grid, said the person who's head of the agency. The most promising developments are in the realm of large-scale energy storage systems, which electricity companies need to put in place to bring more solar and wind power to the grid. The projects funded by RPE had the potential to transform utility-scale storage and expand the use of microgrids by the military and for disaster relief. These uh, new designs for batteries and new chemistries are rapidly bringing down the costs of energy storage, she said. Three new companies now have batteries on the market, selling grid-scale and backup batteries. Half a dozen other companies are developing new batteries. The agency, until now, is focused on funding early-stage research, turning projects around every three years. But the energy secretary said this week he's seeking to expand ARPA-E's mission in the light of the commitment from countries at the Paris Climate Summit to double clean energy research funding over the next five years. More from outside the bubble from the Independent on Sunday. Key documents that could shed light on allegations of British collusion in torture and rendition are being suppressed by the British government. The newly uncovered files include confidential exchanges between Tony Blair and former President George Bush about treatment of detainees at Guantanamo. Possibly most significant are five other documents, communications between the former U.K. former uh, Foreign Secretary and Colin Powell, expressing interest and concern about the welfare and legal status of British detainees at Guantanamo. Former detainees have alleged British officials have either been present at or submitted questions for extreme interrogation by U.S. officials, The U.S. government has been required to make public a large number of files relating to British involvement in the treatment of prisoners. The documents have come to light as a result of a lawsuit by a uh, group of members of Parliament. But more about that, one hopes, coming up. In the meantime, not so uh, outside the bubble, the National Security Archive, an archive of declassified U.S. documents, the world's largest collection, and a leading nonprofit user of the Freedom of Information Act, this week reported, and they're located in Washington, they're inside the bubble, for your convenience, in case you're looking for them. They reported this week that the Gerald Ford White House back in the 70s, significantly altered the final report of the supposedly independent Rockefeller Commission investigating CIA domestic activities. This, over the objections of senior staff at the commission, this according to internal White House and commission documents posted this week, the changes included removal of an entire 86-page section on CIA assassination plots and numerous edits to the report. The edits were made by then-Deputy White House Chief of Staff Richard Cheney. The uh, posting included the entire suppressed section on assassination attempts, Cheney's handwritten marginal notes, staff staff memos warning of the fallout of deleting the controversial section, and White House strategies for presenting the edited report to the public. The Documents show the leadership of the Presidentially Appointed Commission deliberately curtailed the investigation and ceded its independence to White House uh, political operatives, primarily then-Deputy White House Chief of Staff Richard Cheney. The evidence has been lying ignored in government vaults for decades. For reaction, we might have to go underground. Next, intimate tales of America's former underground vice president. The action-packed diary of the man who was just an enhanced heartbeat away. From history, Dick Cheney. Confidential. Confidential. Confidential.
3: Confidential. Confidential.
1: I didn't know Dick Nixon well. For one thing, he was before my time. For another, as a public figure, he was a little too nicey-nicey for my taste. But he did like to say one thing I agree with. It's better to be the man in the arena than the chumps buying tickets and beers. I'm not sure that's exactly the way he put it, but that's his problem. For me, being in the arena, helping to make the decisions that shaped our times, sure beats the hell out of the last year or two of just watching so much that I valued twirl down history's comfort station. First, there was the sad spectacle of my former constituent-in-chief coming out of his self-imposed bubble in a vain attempt to save his brother's political hiney. If George W. had had as much compassion for Scooter Libby as he apparently possessed for his ineffectual sibling, Lynn would still be inviting him over for some of her famous antler stew. And then, Speaking of pathetic spectacles, there was the leaking through totally unofficial channels of a report which purported to report that the Rockefeller Commission back in the 70s had soft-pedaled its reporting on supposed CIA assassination plans and that I had helped place the Commission's official foot on the soft pedal. This is the kind of thing that makes me applaud Donald Trump's plan to eviscerate the First Amendment. But unlike him, I have sources and methods at my disposal, which became clear when I paid a friendly little visit to the so-called office of the so-called group that leaked this so-called report Wednesday two seventeen pm so uh Mr. Vice President, make yourself comfortable. oh don't worry, my friend. I do that wherever I go. <laughs> <laughs> You call these cushions? Well, we do operate on a kind of a shoestring, sir. Yeah. These are the shoestrings. I'd hate to see the shoes. Uh, so, Mr. Vice President, it's uh, not every day the subject of one of our releases pays us an uh, unannounced visit. That's correct. I don't tend to operate within the confines of the ordinary. Look, Mr. Whatever-you-claim-your-name-happens-to-be, <laughs> let's shook right down to the cob. Your so-called report depicts me as what you might call the great redactor, keeping supposed assassination plots by a certain agency out of the official report on the activities of that particular agency. Well, we published your handwritten notes. My friend, from my very earliest days in public service, there have been people who made it their business to replicate my handwriting. That ever occur to you? <laughs> There's no evidence of it in the... There's your evidence. In nice sharp shards on your threadbare carpet. <laughs> Big deal, that was a two dollar vase from Walgreens. That's two dollars you can't spend in periling the future of this republic. Look, pal, I wasn't even the president's chief of staff at the time. Don Rumsfeld was. I was just his all powerful deputy.
0: Yeah,
1: that's probably why he didn't want his hand running on these notes, although No, he was too busy playing his old I'm too smart for this room game. Which President Ford was too smart to engage in. Anyway, my friend, I couldn't help noticing as I shoved past the beggars in the lobby that you call this outfit the National Security Archive. Yes, sir. That's, that's been our name for the past three decades, during which we've managed to bring to the surface a- You know what's coming to the surface, pal? Huh? Your head after a boating accident. <laughs> I don't own a boat. Hmm. Certain agency might have to give you one. Well, but before we even go there, let me ask you a question. During those three decades of serving the interests of this country's pathetic but all-powerful adversaries, did you ever bother to trademark the words national security? <laughs> Mr. Vice President, national security is a phrase in common usage. It's not owned by anyone. Here's we- a document you probably didn't bother to leak. It's from the Patent and Trademark Office. You've heard of them? <laughs> yes, sir, but... Seems that someone does own the trademark on the term national security, doesn't it? Chaney Associates? Mm-hmm. It's a little cutout. I run for my friends down the road from our home in McLean, Virginia. Cute little burg called Langley. Uh, Mr. Cheney, our report has already been made public. You're wasting your time. You might as well be traveling around visiting foreign... Oh, that's right. You can't. You face the prospect of arrest. My friend, arrest this. Given our unassailable right to the trademark of the phrase national security, you and your ragtag army of enemies of the state will be shut down faster than a rat-infested Chipotle. Your doors will be closed, judging by the state of the hinges, probably for the first time. This is the Internet age, Mr. Vice President. Our report is out there. There is no there out there. So far, thanks to a certain Mr. Trump, your report has made less news than a coup in Djibouti. It's easy to make this all go away. Literally. My folks can show you how to redact your own report in the time it takes you to say, Mr. Vice President, I guess you're right. And of course, you'd have to redact this conversation as well. Sir, I'm guessing you're very busy trying to avoid crossing any U.S. borders. Uh, I'm sure that given the tiny size of our offices, you can show yourself out. Uh, All right, sir. No hard feelings. You win some, you lose some. Heck, I kind of admire your toughness. You remind me of a young Don Rumsfeld. (laughs) Maybe one day when all this blows over, we could meet under more propitious circumstances. Well, I might like that, Mr. Vice President. Heck, we could even go duck hunting together. (laughs) Well... I'm not really a hunter, sir. Oh, that's okay. I'd do all the shooting. On the other hand, maybe I'll just have Lane invite our traitorous friend over for some of her famous bald eagle soup. And a partial diary from the front end of March 2016. Sincerely yours, Dick Cheney. Confidential, confidential, confidential.
2: Like a train, drowning like a rag, and going down the drain. And I'm gonna rock to the cock, a doodle doo. Cause everything's better than thinking about you. Sitting at home, knowing you're gone, watching the phone, drinking alone.
1: Now, the Apologies of the Week. Hilton Hotels apologized this week after... Oh, that's an old one. UC Davis Chancellor Linda Katehi apologized this week for her controversial moonlighting activities, which had prompted key California lawmakers to call for her resignation and announce legislative hearings on her paid outside activities and those of other university officials. Katehi, who earns $424,000 annually as chancellor at UC Davis, the ag school of the University of California system, had come under fire for accepting a $70,000 a year position with the DeVry Education Group, a for-profit firm that offers college degrees online. DeVry is being investigated by state and federal authorities on allegations of deceptive advertising about job and income prospects for its graduates. The firm has denied the accusations. he des- resigned from DeVry after questions were raised by public interest groups and a member of the state assembly. This chancellor was the chancellor of UC Davis back when the pepper spray cop was working for her. She had to apologize for him, too. The Atlanta the Atlanta Falcons apologized after it was revealed that one of their coaches asked an inappropriate question of Ohio State quarterback cornerback Eli Apple during the NFL's annual scouting combine in Indianapolis. Apple said he was asked, "So, do you like men?" He says the question came at the start of an interview with an unidentified Falcons coach. Falcons head coach Dan Quinn acknowledged in a statement to the AP that he has addressed the inappropriate question. He said he has told his entire coaching staff such questions should not be asked, and he apologized to Apple. Guns N' Roses keyboardist and multi instrumentalist Chris Pittman has apologized after apparently slagging off the band's upcoming reunion shows in a social media post. Pittman called the reunion, quote, a money grab and a nostalgia tour before deleting his comments. Now he's blamed his comments on alcohol and texting. His criticism was screen captured by a fan before the keyboardist del- deleted the tweet or detweeted the lead I sincerely apologize to GNR, especially the band and crew for stupid comments about upcoming tour. Remember kids, don't drink and text Whole Foods has apologized for selling whole peeled oranges in plastic containers at one of its California locations after a shopper tweeted the photo of the product, questioning the company's packaging methods. if only nature would find a way to cover these oranges so we didn't need to waste so much plastic on them the customer, Natalie Gordon, wrote. The supermarket chain apologized for the mistake. These have been pulled. We hear you. We'll leave them in their natural packaging, Packaging the peel. Some social media users thought that some customers may need pre-peeled packaged oranges if they have, for example, arthritis. Whole Foods last year was targeted after a customer shared his image of $6 bottles of water containing three spears of asparagus asparagus water, ladies and gentlemen. It's good for you. The environmental officials of New Jersey have apologized to northern New Jersey residents for not divulging sooner the finding of a hazardous chemical at a Superfund site where Ford Motor Company dumped paint sludge decades ago. Officials said at a meeting the chemical poses no immediate health threat. The EPA officials said they shouldn't have waited three months to tell residents in Ringwood of the presence of 1.4 dioxane at concentrations in groundwater almost 100 times the state standard. EPA officials say it's unlikely the chemical's discovery would stop a plan that would leave hundreds of thousands of tons of contamination under a protective barrier, rather than having it removed. Hey, maybe Donald Trump can get them to get Ford to move it to Mexico. What do you think? A PR firm apologized to the British Jewish Chronicle this week for sending the newspaper a press release out of uh, uh, promoting pork pies. Kr public relations, sent an email to various publications, including the Jewish paper, about British Pie Week, mentioning one manufacturer in particular sells your dream pork pie flavor combination. After Jewish Chronicle editor Stephen Pollard and staff members pointed out the error in sending a Jewish publication a notice relating to a non-kosher item, the PR firm apologized for the mistake. The compilation of the press list was a training exercise, and unfortunately on this occasion led to a few people being left on the list that the press release was not intended for. We can only apologize moving forward and please be rest assured this will not happen again, says the spokesperson. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. (laughs) just a brief note of news of the warm. As agencies and nonprofits toil to restore and conserve San Francisco Bay Area marshlands, trying to defend against rising seas and to nurture wildlife, a bewildering crisis has emerged. There's not enough mud. Marshes capture mud from water to grow and sustain themselves. A worsening shortage of mud floating in San Francisco Bay and its waterways is contributing to erosion. Threatening plans to block flooding from sea level rise through the restoration of wetlands in the Bay Area. That's right. San Francisco Bay can't hold its mud. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.4 and 90 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin on Soho Radio here in London, on your smartphone via stitcher.com and as a free podcast through www.no.org, SoundCloud, Citro Network, iTunes and TuneIn.com. Also on the internet, Two different locations, live in archives, harryshearer.com, and kcsn.org. And if you'd just like, get more Bud for the Bay, if you agree to join with me then, would you? All thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Excel and Hawaii desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead, Jenny Lawson of WWNO New Orleans, and Adrian Boddenham, Bodders, here at Global Radio in London, for help with today's broadcast the email address for this program, playlist of the music here here on, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, harryshare.com The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network So Long From London